It's Something for Nothing, the Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you as always. Jerry, what's going on? Nothing, Steve. What's going on with you? Not much. I'm very excited today. We're going to get back to talking about a Rush studio album today. We haven't done this in, what, two months? Right. It's our our meat and potatoes. Our meat and potatoes, and we're running out of potatoes. (laughs) Running out of both meat and potatoes. There's a potato famine on the Rush Fan Cast. (laughs) You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fan Cast. Instagram, we are at The Rush Cast. Email Jerry. Let him know what your favorite potato is at the rushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro. Lex did it. Yeah, of course he that's he always does. <laughs> He's the best. He's very kind to us. He is the kindest. He really is. So Jared, do you have an email for us? We got a lot to talk about today. So let's get right into the email. Oh, I was gonna ask you if you had a favorite potato. Uh I would say sweet potatoes are my favorite potato. Oh, I would never have I, I don't even think of sweet potatoes as potatoes, even though they're called sweet potatoes. <laughs> okay. Uh, if we're just going with regular potatoes, I'm going to go with straight Idaho potatoes. Oh, okay. Okay. What, what about sweet you? Potatoes. I like the little potatoes. What are they called? New potatoes? New potatoes? Yeah. Then what they come in like that little bag, just a whole bunch of tiny little potatoes. Doesn't every potato come in a bag? <laughs> I buy my potatoes loose. I don't know what kind of bag you're buying your potatoes in. Jeez. Wow. Well, this, this is for our other podcast, Potatoes and You. <laughs> Listen to that later. <laughs> the Potatoes Podcast. All right. Yes, I have an email from Barry. What's up, Barry? He lives in Northern Ireland. Oh, nice. And the subject line of his email is a Northern Irish perspective. Irish perspective. Oh, I get it. Irish. Got it. Yeah. Uh, he says, I only stumbled across your podcast in the last few weeks which I am absolutely loving to bits. I'm from Derry in Northern Ireland and discovered Rush around 1986 when my friend gave me a mixtape, which included most of Grace Under Pressure. I was a big fan of the police at the time, so segueing across to Grace Under Pressure was a pretty easy transition. So well and truly hooked by synth-era Rush, I methodically worked my way through their catalog of albums, loving how much of their song themes and lyrics resonated with me. Those that dealt with conflict, fear, and religion particularly spoke to me, given the so-called troubles we were living through at the time. My current five plays are Between the Wheels, Chemistry, Free Will, Hemispheres, book two, of course, and Emotion Detector. Wow. As an album, Grace Under Pressure will never be bettered. I love its heavy darkness and its clean brightness equally. I've seen them four times, including the first time on their Hold Your Fire tour, and imagine my delight when I discovered that I appeared on their show of hands video, rocking out to turn the page. Oh, wow. That's cool. Just keep up the great work, Barry. Nice. Thanks, Barry. Yeah. And I think Barry's going to like our conversation today because he likes songs about religion. And would you say Snakes and Arrows, the theme of the album is faith or religion? That's the vibe I get. Yeah, it's totally the vibe of the album. Yeah, religion, faith, your place in both of those arenas. All right. Well, let's get into it. Wow. We're going to just go right into it. Well, what would you like to talk about instead? I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) A little more foreplay. I'm not sure what we were going to do. Snakes and Arrows is Rush's 18th studio album released May 1st, 2007, produced by Nick Raskulenix. We just figured out the pronunciation of his name. We hope. And I think we got it right. His first with Rush and it peaked at number three in both the U.S. and Canada, Jar. 
That's crazy. Yeah. And I mean that in the best possible way. Absolutely. And this, this album came out after they took a long break after feedback and the R30 tour for about a year Yep. before they started recording this. That's true. Singles from Snakes and Arrows, Jerry. I always do this. What are the three singles from Snakes and Arrows? Uh, well, I'm going to go with Far Cry. Good choice. That's number one. Um, God, singles. Armor and Sword? No. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of any other song. I think I heard Far Cry on the radio once. The other two songs are songs that they played they played live quite a bit. Spin Drift. Okay. And The Larger Bowl. The Larger Bowl. So those are the other two singles. This album was recorded at Alaire Studios in the Catskills in New York State. Now, if you remember, Jerry, we had Rob Wallace on. Yeah. And he told us that Neil had worked at this studio, Alaire, for the video, The Anatomy of a Drum Solo. Mm-hmm. And after that, he was so enamored with the place that he talked Getty and Alex into recording this album there. And that's what Rob told us. Yeah. And here we are. And here we are. Now, the title of Snakes and Arrows, Jer, is uh, from the lyrics of Armor and Sword, mm-hmm. but comes from the Indian board game, The Leela of Self-Knowledge. That's what I read. Yeah. Or Leela, the game of self-knowledge or something. Now, it's similar to a game we have here in the United States called Shoots and Ladders, but Neil knows this game as Snakes and Ladders. I guess that's what they call it in Canada, perhaps. Yeah. Sounds more dangerous. Yeah, Snakes and Ladders sounds more dangerous than Shoots and Ladders. They, they softened it up for us U.S. consumers. It's basically slides and ladders. Right, right. But I guess that's what the Indian game was too, right? Similar? Yeah, I guess so. And uh, also could be from the quote, Slings and Arrows from Hamlet. Oh, yeah, we'll get into that when we talk about Armor and Sword. Okay, all right, we can do that. We can do that. But I just figured we'd mention the title of the album and maybe where it came from. Yeah. And what about the album art? Every time we discuss an album, we talk about the album art. You pulling out your trusty Hugh Syme Art of Rush book? Can you even lift it? This is a heavy book. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you just go to the source, right? I guess the thing with this album cover, I guess Hugh jokingly calls it his least favorite album cover because it's not his art. The album cover is the game box or the art that was on this box for that game, Leela, whatever it was called. The Leela of self-knowledge. Leela of self-knowledge. And apparently it was painted by a Hindu scholar named Harish Johari. Right. Yeah. And I had no idea that Hugh didn't do this cover. You know, neither did I. Neither did I. I mean, I think he did things to it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the bulk of it is, is this other person. The whole layout of it, I'm sure, Hugh had a huge hand in. Right. But I wonder how that conversation went with Neil. You know, Neil says, hey. You know, Hugh, I want to use this for the album cover. You know, you've done all of our album covers, but this one, I want this. <laughs> this is from the, this is from Hugh's book, right? Oh, okay. He says the cover artwork, a board game titled The Leela of Self-Knowledge is a painting by Hindu scholar Harish Johari that Neil Peart chose. Hugh's proposed cover shows up on the CD booklet inside the packaging. The topic is a source of playful ribbing between the two men. This was the first time ever that a front cover image was not created by Mr. Syme, said Neil. He chooses to ignore that. When he shows a discography, he chooses his own cover. Wow. So. And his own cover is the one I'm holding up right here. 
Yes. The arrows and the baby. Yeah. There's a baby on the street. There's a snake. Yep. There's arrows. Yeah. In the ground along the side of the road. Yeah. I hate to say this, you know, we all love Neil, but I kind of like this album cover better. Why? Because it's more, more Rush-like? Yeah. It's more Rush-like. It's more Hugh-like. Well, yeah. You know, now that I see it, now that I know that Hugh didn't do it, it's a little obvious that Hugh didn't do it. Don't you think? Yeah. I kind of like the album cover for the same reason why I like the album. It's not a very Rush album. You know what I mean? It's a different kind of Rush. So you think because it's a different kind of Rush, it should have a different kind of cover? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense now. And when I say, you know, it's a, it's different than Rush, I mean, Rush is always different than Rush. But this version, whatever was going on in the studio, the stuff that came out of there is some good stuff, <laughs> some really good stuff. Well, before we get into it, I, I saw a note, I actually saw this on Wikipedia, that Alex Lifeson had met David Gilmore. Yep, I saw that too. During a tour stop in Toronto, and David Gilmore inspired him to write for this record on an acoustic guitar. And the reason he told him to do that is because a song written on an acoustic guitar, according to Gilmore, is an indicator of how strong the song is. And you can tell. Yeah, you can tell. You can tell that these songs were written on an acoustic guitar. Yeah, because there's a lot of acoustic guitar in here. There is, but even the heavier guitar parts sound like they could be translated to an acoustic yeah. guitar. Yeah. It was a different way of writing for Alex, and it really changed the whole sound of this album and the yeah. whole sound of Rush, really. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think for the better. Yeah. And I think um, Alex thanked Gilmore in the liner notes. He did. He did. But I had no idea that that occurred. And yeah. after reading that and then listening to this, it was plain as day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is what he did. And it, it, it's really incredible. It really is. It's just interesting how, uh, you know, one comment from somebody that you admire can really just change the course of whatever you were planning because Alex, you know, admires Gilmore who wouldn't right? any guitarist would admire Gilmore. His solos are just beautiful. The way he plays is just beautiful. So, so he's just like, you know, what you should do is play, write him on acoustic, see what happens. He's like, okay. It's like, why wouldn't you listen to the master? Right? Well, why don't we get into the songs, Jar? And see if yeah. we can hear that acoustic seeping into every song on this record. And we'll start with the first one, which is Far Cry.
We've got a short quote, Jer, from Alex Lyson about Far Cry, if you care to hear it. Of course I care to hear. I love anything that Alex has to say. It was almost like we already knew the song when we wrote it. We just played it, and that was really cool. That doesn't happen very often. We were high-fiving in the whole thing. Wow. Because it's a relief when something like that happens, for sure. And that quote makes sense to me, just because this is just such a rush, rush song. It is. Absolutely. It's, it's a Russian rush song, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it's a Russian rush song, yeah. Oh, I mean, because it it's starts off with um, you know, the Lifeson chord yeah. toward the beginning mm-hmm. and ends with it too, I believe. So yeah, that's definitely, a, definitely an indicator. Maybe that's why he felt like he knew it before he, they recorded it, because it was the same chord. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But anyway, this song is fantastic, and judging by the fact that Rush played this on every single at every single show, I think, from here on in, right. they loved it as well. Yeah. So your thoughts on Far Cry, Jer? Well, it's definitely uh, it's a great song to kick off an album. I mean, I wasn't really that happy with Vapor Trails, right? Okay. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of didn't even listen to, to Vapor Trails all that much. But then when this came out, yeah, I was, this was a great album. I felt like Rush had come back from whatever Vapor Trails was, even though now I see the folly of that statement and Vapor Trails is a great album. But at the time, I was like, wow, this is, this is Rush. They, they, they stumbled, mm-hmm. but they came back. I've heard this compared to moving pictures, believe it or not. I mean, I wouldn't compare it to moving pictures. What's the comparison? Just how great it is? Right. Yeah. I mean, people pick their top four great Rush albums from, from different eras. You know, they'll say from the 70s, it's 2112. And from the 80s, it's moving pictures. And hmm. from this era, from the 2000s, it's Snakes and Arrows. It might be. It might be. I have a tough time with putting this over Clockwork Angels, personally. Uh, yeah, that's true. But I love this record, and I can see why yeah. it gets that comparison. Because of this time, this is the best Rush album of its time, other than Clockwork Angels, if that makes any sense. Yeah, up until... Right. When this album came out, this was the best album of the 2000s. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think so. I mean, look, yeah. people will disagree with us. They will. But, but I think so. So shall we get into the lyrics, Jer? Yes, my, it's my bread and butter, Steve. Your bread and butter. Let's, let's do it. I love bread and butter. So we start off, Jer, pariah dogs and wandering madmen, barking at strangers and speaking in tongues. Yeah. The ebb and flow of tidal fortune, electrical changes are charging up the young. Your thoughts on that? I've got a thought. I want to hear yours first. Well, you know, I had a hard time with pariah dogs until I looked it up. What's a pariah dog? It's um, wild dogs in India. Okay. I don't know. They're just untamed, but not vicious or anything. They just run wild. And I guess they're called pariah because of the caste system in India. I don't know exactly why they're called pariah dogs. But a pariah is something that, you know, uh, is shunned. Mm-hmm by society in general so pariah dogs and wandering madmen i don't know what that's supposed to mean what do you, what is it i don't know i was confused by that too is a pariah dog really a dog is he referring to dogs here or is he referring to people well i don't know there are a group of dogs in india 
referred to as pariah dogs. Right. Whether he's actually talking about those dogs, I'm not sure. Okay. It could just be, you know, the, the, my first thought, of course, is that it's about religion. Oh, absolutely. I think it's about religion. That I'm, I'm pretty sure of. Speaking in tongues, that's a religion phrase, right? Definitely. But then the ebb and flow of tidal fortune electrical changes are charging up the young. Because, well, anyway, what, so what's your interpretation of it? Well, my interpretation is more of the second part. I mean, I think electrical changes charging up the young. Could he be talking about, you know, the younger generation's dependence on electronics? Oh, I didn't think about that. That's my interpretation of that line. Yeah. And, and how that relates to religion, perhaps. The fact that people are dependent upon their electronics and they're getting more information thrown at them about religion and other things. I'm not sure because I think overall, I think this song is about, is about hippies. Really? <laughs> I think it's a song about idealistic young people. You know, when they were young, obviously like Neil or maybe Getty and Alex, when they were young, you know, the Woodstock generation or whatever, you know what I mean? All this peace and love was going to change the world. And it didn't. Huh. That's what I think the song is about. That's why I've struggled with the first verse. Cause it has, I don't think it has, I can't, I can't see the link between the first verse and what I think the rest of the song is. Hmm. See, I, I interpret it a different way. I feel like it means, you know, just when you've got a grasp on your way of thinking, something new comes along, new technology provides you with different opinions. You know, you're seeing different things. Mm-hmm. Then you feel like the world is falling in on you or rolling over on you. Like it says in, in the lyrics, one day I feel like I'm on top of the world. The next it's falling in on me. Right. One day I feel I'm ahead of the wheel and the next it's rolling over me. Like, I feel like I've got a a grasp on the way things are. I'm confident. I know what's going on. And then all of a sudden I've got new information and blows it up. I think though, in my interpretation, well, because if we go back to the, I guess it's the chorus, right? The chorus comes right in. It's a far cry. Mm-hmm. It's a far cry from the world we thought we would inherit. It's a far cry from the way we thought we'd share it. Sharing in what way? Well, how we were going to be hippy-dippy, peace and love for all. You know what I mean? It, what The world today is a far cry from the one that past generations thought they were going to inherit. Right. That's just what I'm taking from it. And it's a far cry from the world we thought we'd share it because maybe things are even more fractured than they were back then. Hmm. And you can almost, and then the next lines are, you can almost feel the current flowing. You can almost see the circuits blowing. Like there's some kind of tension that's going to explode. Mm -hmm. You can almost see it. It's not here yet, but you can almost see the circuits blowing. And in concert, when they said circuits blowing, right? Something blew up behind them all the time. Oh yeah, which was awesome. First time that happened. First time that happened, it scared me. Could it be a combination of of what you're thinking and what I'm thinking? I mean, I, I see your point. You know, when Neil was growing up, it was all peace and love, sixties, right? Yeah. And the world Neil thought he would inherit is much different now in 2007. Yeah. Than it was in 1967. Right. But could that be a lot? because of the technology that is charging up the young. Maybe. I guess it depends on if you think that Neil's like a Luddite. He is anti-technology. 
Because that just sounds like a, that's just like a grandpa thing to say. You know what I mean? Like, get looking at their screens. I don't interpret it that way. I mean, it's just reality, though. You know? I don't think he's complaining about it. He's just telling it like it is. Yeah. I see a lot of good things coming out of technology with young people. Sure, they spend a lot of time on Instagram and Snapchat. But still, there's an organizational ability with, you know, all of these platforms that wasn't available back, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. Uh, You know, protests can be formed. Groups can come together for a common purpose. So in some ways, it's good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying technology is bad. I'm just saying it has the ability to change your worldview almost instantly. Oh, I get it. Whereas back in the 60s, you know, you had to do a lot of reading like Neil did to to change your worldview. Now you could just pop on a website and be like, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know that and change your whole outlook on things. Right. I think it ties in a lot with some of the other songs we can get into later. What were you going to say? I was, I was interpreting the one day I feel I'm on top of the world and the next it's falling in on me. I interpret that as being like, so one day he's got the, he still has the ideals of a younger man that things are going to work out. Then something happens and he realizes the truth of what is, what society is like right now. And it falls back in on him Mm -hmm. and he can get back on. He can, he has to try to, force himself to think in a more idealistic way in order to get back on track. Okay. All right. Uh, now what about the, what about the next verse whirlwind life of faith and betrayal rise in anger, fall back and repeat slow degrees on the dark horizon. Full moon rising lays silver at your feet. Well, first of all, poetry, that's, that's a real, that's a really good set of lines right there. Oh, Totally. I was thinking of the whirlwind life of faith and betrayal. To me, it has something to do with faith in others' faith. Does that make any sense? In order for you, well, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not a religious person, but in order for you to have a strong faith, I would imagine you would have to have faith in your leaders having strong faith. Right. In order, you know, they are super connected to God or whatever, and then they can help you. So they have, you have to have faith that they have faith, Mm -hmm. but that's often betrayed, right? These feelings that, you know, you trust is often betrayed and it rises and falls and repeats. It it happens all of the time. And it doesn't even have to be like faith in religion. It could be faith in a movement or faith in a political party, but eventually something's going to happen. It's going to fall and then something will take its place. It will fall. It just, it's just constantly repeating. So your faith, what you believe is correct, you know, the betrayal of the world shakes that faith. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cut out everything I just said <laughs> and say that. That's what I meant to say. That's what I wrote down here after reading that. Yes. That's what I came up with. I agree with that, man. You know, one day I fly through a crack in the sky and the crack in the sky is heaven, right? I would imagine so. The next, it's falling in on me. Yeah. You know, you have one way of thinking about your faith, and then the betrayal of the world, or like you said, the leaders that you believe are one with you and your faith, just comes crashing down on you. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. What about slow degrees on the dark horizon? Full moon rising lays silver. At your feet. I have no idea. 
I had no idea, but I love it. <laughs> Full moon rising lays silver at your feet. It's just a great line. I have no idea what it means. Maybe but... if we read the Bible more, we'd know what that meant. I don't know. <laughs> the interesting thing about this song, it's one of those songs that I never really thought about the lyrics too much because it's one of those songs that you can't really understand what Getty's saying all the time unless you, you've got the lyric booklet right in front of you. That's true. So I never really delved deep into it until just these past few weeks when I was like, oh, wow, these are really deep lyrics. These, this whole album, Steve, is filled deeply. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big bucket and there's a lot of stuff in it. So do you think Hugh Symes' artwork for each of these songs can help us interpret the songs possibly? Let's see, Steve. So, so inside the booklet of the CD, and I've got it here for Jerry to see, but. I have it up. We'll post these on uh, Instagram and Twitter so everyone can see them. I'm looking at them on our good pal Cygnus X1. But if you want to follow along, find John Petuto's site, CygnusX1.net. He's got all of these posted. And for Far Cry, we've got what looks like a dock with a baby carriage at the end. Uh And the waves are in the background. It looks like a stormy kind of situation. Yep. And there's a lightning bolt hitting the baby carriage. Yep. So what does that have to do, Jer, with everything we just talked about? Well, there's also a, a rainbow in the sky. There's a rainbow in the sky, and there's an eagle or a hawk flying above the rainbow. What does all this mean? If you remember the video that they used to play during the song, I'm not mistaken, that creepy-looking bassinet thing mm-hmm. goes over the edge. Yeah. So keep that in mind. I don't know. The baby's being struck by lightning. Hmm. Is that good or bad? Uh, I would interpret that as bad. <laughs> and then, but then there's, you know, then there's a symbol of hope. There's the rainbow. Then you have that raptor up there. I don't know what's going on. Hmm. For me, this image doesn't help me interpret anything. Because who, who knows what's going on? Is this raptor circling around waiting for the baby to die so it can eat the baby? I don't know what's going on. Who would leave their baby in this thing? This creepy... 17th century little thing at the <laughs> edge know, of a creaky dock. Oh, uh, I, I don't know. So, so the answer to the question is no, Hugh Symes artwork cannot help us interpret this song. Not this song. <laughs> Not this song. It's a really cool, I, it's a really cool image, but I, I can't, you know, when you think of rainbows and you think of the Bible, of course, you're thinking of Noah. Mm-hmm. Noah sent out a bird, right? He was a dove though. I, so I, I, don't I don't think know. this is biblical at all. This, this image at least. Yeah, I don't know. There's hope on the horizon, maybe. That's the faith. Who knows? Well, email us at therushcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about Far Cry. What's your interpretation? Yes, please help us. Your interpretation is probably better than ours. <laughs> what I will say is this song was always amazing live. Always. And it's the quintessential Rush song, I think. Not the, really? but one of the quintessential Rush songs. Sure. Yeah, it's an excellently composed Rush song. And you know, we've got to, of course, talk about uh, Alex for a second. He takes a guitar solo that is what, like three notes that are just bent beyond belief, right? Yeah. Which fits the song perfectly. The riff in the song is amazing. I love the riff in this song. Yeah. It just, it just, you know, kind of plunders forward. It's so mean. A lot, of, a lot of the riffs on this album just sound mean. And when they played this song live, you could tell that they loved playing this song. I yeah. mean, they were into it. Yeah. Neil and Getty and Alex all 
loved this song and they played it every, like we said, yeah, every show henceforth, henceforth, henceforth. So shall we get into track two, Jar of Snakes and Arrows? What do you think? We might as well. This is going to be a long one, though. It is Armor and Sword. The snakes and arrows, a child is heir to are enough to leave a thousand cuts. We build our defenses, a place of safety, and leave the darker places So, Jarrah, a lot of the quotes I'm about to read to you are from the Power Windows website. Our good friend Eric Hansen kindly posted Neil's liner notes from Snakes and Arrows. It's called The Game of Snakes and Arrows, a prize every time. So Neil says, we had settled on the album title Snakes and Arrows, which came about when I was working on the lyrics for Armor and Sword, which is the song we're about to discuss. Mm-hmm. In turn, that title metaphor had been developed for my book, Roadshow, to describe the good kind of faith as being armor, while the bad kind of faith is a sword. While I was working on those lyrics for Armor and Sword, the battlefield imagery reminded me of a line where ignorant armies clash by night from a poem I had half remembered. It turned out to be Matthew Arnold's magnificent Dover Beach, and I was so excited by its synchronicity with my own preoccupations in many of these songs that I had to put in one line from the poem as a tribute, confused alarms of struggle and fight. I was also thinking, like Richard Dawkins in The God Delusion, about how children are usually imprinted with a particular faith, along with their other early blessings and scars. People who actively choose their faith are a vanishing few. Most simply receive it with their mother's milk, language, and customs. Thinking also of people being shaped by early abuse of one kind or another, I felt a connection with friends who had adopted rescue dogs as puppies and given them unlimited love, care, and security. If those puppies had been damaged by their earlier treatment, made nervous, timid, or worse, they would always remain that way, no matter how smooth the rest of their life might be. It seemed the same for children. And to express that notion, I came up with the snakes and arrows a child is heir to, are enough to leave a thousand cuts. Wow, right? Yeah. This song deserves a dissertation. <laughs> Never mind us talking about it. Right? Wow. So I looked up Death by a Thousand Cuts. Apparently that is Chinese, Ling Chi, right? I know it's it's just a saying that people say. A slow lingering death. 
Yeah. Ling Chi is also known as death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Happens by degrees. So small that you don't see it until it's, so you have thousands of them and it's too late. Right. So what Neil's saying is that let's say our parents, Jer, who brought us up Catholic. Yep. Every little nick they gave us about Catholicism is imprinted on us Mm -hmm. permanently. Like the dog he was talking about, right? Yep. True. So what are your thoughts initially about this song before we dig deep into it? Okay. Well, the first of all, the first verse is so dense with meaning. There's so much going on in this. The snakes and arrows a child is heir to are enough to leave a thousand cuts. We build our defenses, a place of safety, and leave the darker places unexplored. Wow. So I think the snakes and arrows a child is heir to, like, did you say Hamlet? You mentioned Hamlet in there, right? Right. It's from the famous soliloquy, to be or not to be. Mm-hmm. Not, not snakes and arrows, but I think it's... Uh, slings and arrows. Slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. That's one of the greatest, like, suicide notes ever written, to be or not to be. And these, all of these things, the snakes and arrows, are enough to leave a thousand cuts, so we, we build defenses against them, right? So make that place a place of safety, but we kind of lock out the darker things that those things represent. You know what I mean? We try mm-hmm. to retreat from them and we leave them, like he says, unexplored, which of course does not help the situation whatsoever. Right. We just kind of ignore the small abuses, the small injuries. Right. We, we retreat someplace else in our armor, maybe, mm-hmm. and just leave the, the actual injury untended. Right. So something small like your mother saying to you, Jerry, if you lie to me, you're going to go to hell. I don't know if she ever said that, but but if she did. Um, yep. <laughs> she sure did. But if she did, that's that may seem like a little a little thing. It's only a little thing. But those little things build up, right? Yeah. Next thing you know, you're carrying the Empire State Building on your back. <laughs> right? <laughs> One pebble at a time. Oh man. One rivet at a time. So the next part, sometimes the fortress is too strong or the love is too weak. Yeah. What should have been our armor becomes a sharp and angry sword. (laughs) (laughs) This song. Oh my God. This song, this song is so harsh. Yeah. It really is a very harsh song. Yeah. Sometimes the fortress is too strong. So the thing that we build, the armor, if you want to call it right, right, we build for ourselves is so strong that nothing can get through it and nothing presumably can get out of it. Right. Right. You're kind of locked in yourself. You don't mm-hmm. have feelings or that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Nobody can reach you or the love is too weak. And like with the, like he said, with the puppy, right? Right. No matter what you do to that puppy, it's still going to be that timid, fearful thing because of all of the things that have happened to it. So no matter how much you love that puppy, how kind you are to it, that stuff's still there. It's still going to be there. Whatever happened to that poor little thing, it's still there. Whatever happened to that poor little Jerry when he was a kid, that's still there. Yeah, man. What did happen to him? <laughs> I should go to some therapy and figure this out. I'm going to go to therapy and play this song. <laughs> hey, Doc, listen to this song and tell me what's wrong with me. <laughs> I know This song holds the secret to everything I am. Tell me what's oh, wrong with me. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and then then what should have been our armor becomes a sharp 
an angry sword. Angry. Explains that part just a little bit more later on. But, you know, this place of protection, Mm -hmm. the thing that keeps us safe, becomes the thing that we uh, attack others with, right? Especially when it comes to, to faith, right? This faith that people have definitely brings them solace brings them comfort, mm-hmm. but then they use that same faith to, you know, attack or villainize other people. Right. It's quite the conundrum. It's an endless cycle. It's an endless cycle. So we get to the next part, Jar. Our better natures seek elevation, a refuge for the coming night. No one gets to their heaven without a fight, which I think is a tremendous line. It is. It is. Our better natures seek elevation. That. I think is from U.S. President Abraham Lincoln's first inaugural address. Oh, is it really? I think so. I looked it up. That sounded sounded familiar to me. I printed it out. They were on the verge of the American Civil War, and he gave this speech as inauguration. This mm-hmm. is the only part of it. This is toward the end, and he's talking to the leaders of the of the South, right? And he says, "I am loath to close," meaning he's doesn't want to end his speech. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the union when again touched as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. Wow. Kudos to you for remembering that, Jer. That speech did not work. <laughs> Just spoiler. Does ultimately this song describe the battle in our minds about religious beliefs and our faith? No one gets to their heaven without a fight in their own mind about which way to go, you know? Oh, I don't know. I, I was thinking in the physical world. Oh, okay. Like you, have to, you have to prove to God that you're worthy to do things. See, I was taking the fight as the fight in our own minds to decide which way to go with our faith or at all. Well, later on, he uses the word crusade, I believe, which, you know, is a long and drawn out topic on its own. But mm-hmm. I was thinking it's, it's the taking of what you think is right and imposing that on other people in order to show some deity that you are the faithful one and you deserve to be wherever you deserve to be. I don't know why, but it was a metaphorical fight to me. It very well may be, Steve. This, I have a feeling that this, al- this album is so, so dense and so beautifully written that we may not agree on anything, the finer points of anything, <laughs> which is going to be great. No, that is great. So, uh, right. so let's continue. Yeah. We hold beliefs as consolation, a way to take us out of ourselves. Meditation or medication, a comfort or a promised reward. It's all you, Jeff. <laughs> I know, man. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just in awe of this song. Uh, we hold our beliefs as a consolation, a way to take us out of ourselves, a way to think that there's something beyond right. ourselves that is better than we are. I mean, isn't that what religion really is? If you really break it down, people want to believe that there's something beyond this life. Yeah. This can't be it. Right. There's got to be something more. There has to be a reason we're here. Right. We're almost too smart for our own good. Yeah, well, that's true. 
And it could be meditation or medication, a comfort or a promised reward. I think that's one of the problems with religious wars, wars based on religion, is, is the reward aspect, you know, of being a martyr, of being a soldier for God, um, that you won't get your reward here on earth. Right. You can only get your reward someplace else. Mm-hmm. So whether that turns you into like an ascetic who just, you know, sits in a cave all day and whips his back because you're, you know, paying for your sins or whatever, or you go out and shoot a bunch of, peop- bunch of people for God. Mm-hmm. That's the problem is that the promise of a later reward, I mean, you can justify just about anything to, to, to get that reward. Right. And Neil, he was quoted many times over the years as saying he didn't feel like he needed any sort of reward right. to be a good person. And I think that's, yeah. that flows through a lot of his lyrics throughout his history. Yeah. So let, let's get into the next part. Sometimes the spirit is too strong or the flesh is too weak. Sometimes the need is just too great for the solace we seek. The suit of shining armor becomes a keen and bloody sword. So that last line again mirrors the line from earlier. Right, but, but more forceful. Yeah. It was a sharp and angry sword, and now it's a keen and bloody sword. So now it's been used. It's been used. I mean, th- this song, is, I mean, we, we, we got to go through the rest of these lyrics just because they're so great. A right. refuge for the coming night, a future of eternal light. No one gets to their heaven without a fight. So beautiful. I know. It's just amazing. Sometimes the spirit is too strong or the flesh is too weak. That's another religion reference. Mm-hmm. When Jesus was uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane. Wow, you really are pulling these references out. I love it. Yeah. You know, he wanted to stay up all night. This is, this is the night he was going to be betrayed, I believe. And uh, he was going to stay up all night, but nobody, none of his apostles could stay up for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. He wanted to stay up and pray. And Jesus said, you know, this, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Like they want mm-hmm. to help them out, but they're just too tired right. to do anything about it. So we've got confused alarms of struggle and flight. Blood is drained of color by the flashes of artillery light. No one gets to their heaven without a fight. Now this, this uh, kind of confirms your theory. You know, this is not metaphorical fighting. This is, this is the real thing. Yeah. This is the real thing. The battle flags are flown at the feet of a God unknown no one gets to their heaven without a fight. Right. Definitely. It's, I just love the image of the blood being like the color of blood changing because of the artillery light. Yeah. The light from the artillery shells exploding. That's just a, that's a great image. Now uh, let's talk about the music, Jared, because the music really brings all of these words to life. Yeah. For me. I mean, the thing that jumps out at me is Neil's symbols. And, and bass pedals. Oh, yeah. But just because of the armor and sword title, the symbols, I don't know what it is about them in this song, but they sound more resonant in this song than in almost any Rush song. Right. I don't know how he did it, but for me, it sounds like the armor and sword hitting each other. Clashing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a clash. Yeah. But it's also uh, the way it starts out. The whole the whole beginning is like it, you know the the little riff is like down 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 you know it's just like stops and starts it's mm-hmm. very aggressive sounding but then in comes Alex's solo 
acoustic guitar. Yeah. Brings it back down, but then it comes back up again. Yeah. Bow, 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 bow. It's just a, it's just a, an amazingly constructed song that definitely you can feel like the fever pitch. You can feel the people getting angry mm-hmm. at certain parts of the song. And Neil said he took the rhythm from a Buddy Rich song called Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. Mm. I can play a little of it for you if you want. Sure, let's hear it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could definitely hear that. That rhythm. Yeah. Sounds a lot like it, yeah. Yeah. That off-kilter rhythm. But you mentioned, you know, Alex going from the heavy guitar to the acoustic guitar. He does that throughout this whole album. Which the whole album. Is there another Rush album, Steve, where he does that? There's so much acoustic guitar in this album. No. Well, that's what I mean. That's why I can't believe that it didn't hit me until I read that note about David Gilmore. Yeah. Didn't hit me that that acoustic guitar is running through this entire album. Right. Which is great. It is great. Okay, we're almost done with the song, Steve. Oh, we're almost done. What else do you have to say? Well, we have the last kind of group of uh, lyrics. Okay, go ahead. Read them. Sometimes the damage is too great or the will is too weak. What should have been our armor becomes a sharp and burning sword. Now it's burning. Now it's burning. And again, that's another religious reference. It is. It is. Well, what, what is it? I, I, I don't know, actually. I'm just, I'm just agreeing with you. This one I had to look up. I'm like, burning. I know that some of the angels in uh, you know, certain stories have burning swords. Oh, really? They carry burning swords. But particularly what's interesting is that the, after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay. they were escorted out of Eden and then the entrance to, to Eden was guarded by an angel with a burning sword. Oh, wow. So they couldn't go back in. And supposedly, in some sects, Jesus resurrecting allowed people to go back into the Garden of Eden. Huh. So overall, I mean, l- let me ask you this, okay? Please do. Before we were going to do this podcast about snakes and arrows, what was your thought about armor and sword versus your thought about the song now? Oh, man. I mean, I... Th- kind of guessed it was about religion and just kind of critical of religion in some way but uh it's <laughs> right right it's, it's yeah i don't i yeah because all the things i'm saying about religion you know the burning sword i'm not making that stuff up neil knows all that stuff and he put it in this song for a reason oh absolutely so i'm not i don't think i'm reading too far into it no no it's, not at all i just what I was going to get at is my thoughts on Snakes and Arrows. I, I love this album before we started talking about it. Yeah. But now that I've really dug deep into it, yeah. I love it even more. I know. It's crazy. It definitely has, has jumped a number of points ahead when we come to ranking the albums. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, I don't know where I would put it, but it's really, really good. I can't believe I, did, I haven't been listening to it. Same, well, the same thing with Vapor Trails. I can't believe I listened to it and, and put it aside. Even though I did like it when it came out, I didn't, it was not one of my staple Rush albums. Right. But now it is. Yeah. And it's, it's another reason why I'm really glad we're doing this podcast. And, and honestly, we've gotten a lot of feedback from, from our listeners that they're glad we're doing it because we're expanding their horizons about all these songs while we're doing it for ourselves. I know. Which is fantastic. It really is. It is. I'm glad we're doing it, especially this 
this one because this has been great. Listening to this album four or five times this week. Yeah. It's been, has been great. <laughs> we recommend you listen to this album yeah. this week because next week we're going to talk about more songs on Snakes and Arrows. Of course, we're pretty much out of time, Jerry. We've, we've gone way past what we were supposed to do. So we're going we're gonna to kick it off with track three next week. Right. And you can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram. We are at the Rushcast. Email Jerry your thoughts on Far Cry, your thoughts on Armor and Sword, the Rushcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you have any thoughts about the rest of the songs on the record, let us know. The bass intro and outro was done by Lex. As always, he's fantastic. What quote you got for me, Joe? There's a lot to choose from just from these two songs. Yeah, well, I'm going with Armor and Sword. The snakes and arrows a child is heir to are enough to leave a thousand cuts. We build our defenses, a place of safety, and leave the darker places unexplored. Wow. That's deep, Jer. It is totally deep. Talk to you next week. See him.